there. Um, awesome. Before I start, let me mention one more thing that was not in the bulletin, and that is if you're an early riser and you want an awesome experience, you get a sunrise service tomorrow. That is at the very top of Mount Home Cemetery on West Main. And that is going to be led by Daniel Sager. Around and people would ask for a song. 
They'd say, you got a, a guitar. You sing? They'd say, sing for us. Play me a song. So I'd say, I'll play you a song. And I'd sit down and I'd play Sweetly Broken, and the atmosphere would change. We played for a Bosnian man who had his eye gouged out in the war in his country and then ran away. And he was kind of hard. His name was Frank. And Frank was having a beer at the bar. And I played that song, and the atmosphere changed. And he opened up about his life and what he'd been through. And he started to cry. And he had to pull his sunglasses down. And that ended with us praying for him. And it was amazing. This bum on the street said, you know, play me a song. He barely speak English. He just kind of hoped me. And I played for him. And this French lady comes up who also had a guitar and just sat there and listened to us. And this other gentleman who spoke English came by and said, are you guys Christians? And we were like, yeah, we are. He's like, I really, I really support what you do. And he started to back away. And he said, hey, well, come hang out with us. And he's like, no, 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 I can't. But I, I really support what you do. And he kind of half-jawed off. He was convicted. Something was going on. I can't prove it, but I think we may have changed his plans for the evening. What was he doing in that part of town? But the presence of God came when we worshiped in the sex district of Chiang Mai, Thailand, and people were touched. We prayed for a lady at a bar whose one bartender, quote unquote, whose husband, whose son, excuse me, had just been hit by a motorcycle, crazy motorcycles in Chiang Mai. He was really injured. And the people we were with, Samantha Gordon, they not only prayed for her son to recover, but they also tried to tell her, hey, you know, you, you're better than this. You don't have to work here. There's another life for you. We have an International New Day prayer meeting, third Tuesday of the month, and we all Skype in. We use some other cooler program that's not Skype, but I say that and everybody knows what I mean. And Samantha says, hey, this bartender says she hates her job. She's going back home, but she still wants to stay in a relationship with me. And she asked, she said, she loves me, and can we still be friends? And she said, yes, and her son is recovering. Because the presence of God went into the sex district of Thailand, like little four or five, six-year-old kids running around trying to sell you stuff. And you know that's just the first thing that they're taught to sell, are those flowers, right? There is evil there. And the evil didn't win. And I left that night. Not filled with despair or seriousness, but I thought, this is winnable. Like, this is only a block. I felt like what I brought there was winning. The presence of the Lord showed up. The whole earth is the Lord's, the Bible says, and everything in it. And I might be from America, and I might be a foreigner, but the Spirit of God inside me is not a foreigner anywhere. He owns the place. I can go to Shanghai, or I can go to China, or I can go to Brazil, and it doesn't matter. Because maybe I don't look right or speak the language, but I carry the presence of God who is Lord of all, and that wins. And what they're doing in Thailand is creating a beachhead in a city that is going to change that city. What is going to change the city is going to be a healthy, thriving local church where people encounter the presence of God, mature, and then go out and start more churches. Amen. That's God's whole plan to change the world, and that's what they're doing in Thailand. And I came back here, and I looked at Kalamazoo, and I thought, oh my God, that's what we're doing here. And when I came back and I went to Martini's, I love Martini's. Thank you, Jesus, for Martini's. And I went to Fourth Coast. I didn't lose that feeling. I was like, I bring the presence of God here. This is winnable. Kalamazoo is winnable. This city is winnable. People are going to get impacted by this. 
thriving local church where people can really encounter the presence of a real God who is alive, come to maturity, and want to go out and start more churches. That's a vision I can grab onto. And I had to see it in its infancy, really, to realize what I'm doing myself, what we're doing. It's not so different. It is winnable, and it is powerful. So my question is, what makes sane people go halfway around the world to start a church? Why would anyone do that? I mean, they were in China, guys. Like, let's be real. They're like pooping in holes and eating bugs and stuff. That's, that's not fun. Why were they doing that? They were doing it for the same reason Paul did. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, hey, Jesus is alive. If the resurrection isn't real, if he really wasn't raised from the dead, actually, guys, of all the people in the world and all the different belief systems and structures and everything, we're the most pathetic. He's like, this is real. You and I are here because someone preached to us. Because someone preached to them. Because someone preached to them all the way back to these 12 crazy guys who really lived one guy who proved he was God in the flesh by taking a horrible beating, publicly executed, and really came back to life, showed up, and said, here's what I want you guys to do. Go tell the world about me. And that so radically changed them that I'm standing here in America in 2016 telling you guys about it. Is that crazy or what? It's real. And the reality of the resurrection is what we're going to talk about today. That was free. That wasn't even a sermon. Is that pretty good already? That's pretty good already. It's Easter weekend. Joy and sorrow are Easter weekend, isn't it? We run the whole gamut. On Good Friday, it's, it's hard. If you really think about what Good Friday means, that's hard to do. Everything you can barely understand is suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. Theologically, it's hard to wrestle with. Physically, it's horrible. Emotionally, it's just hard to deal with. But it's true. So that's where we're going to start our story. In Matthew 27, 57, 66. And we're going to go through the end of Matthew 28. And we're going to look at the reality of the cross, the resurrection, and the presence of God. And we're going to talk about some ways we can react to that. Sound good? Yes. Matthew 27, 57 to 66. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there, opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Pilate is the guy who just said, yes, crucify this Jesus. He's the Roman guy in charge. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, deceiver, said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body 
and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So the scene is, Jesus is publicly executed in front of everybody, and he dies. Now, crucifixion victims weren't honored at all. They were despised, so the bodies usually just tossed wherever, and then birds ate them, and they didn't really care what happened. It was horrible. So this Joseph Arimathea guy says, I can't let that happen to Jesus. Maybe they'll let me take the body, and I can honor him by giving him a burial in the tomb that I have purchased at great expense for my own family. But Jesus is worth it. Pilate says yes, gives him the body, and at least to Mary and maybe some other women, see where the body is laid. And this is important because they're intending to come back, right? After the Passover, or excuse me, after the Sabbath, they can't really do anything on the Sabbath, but they need to know where it is so they can do burial stuff <laughs> to the body. But it's important that they see yes. So we have some reactions here. The women believed in Jesus. When he was alive, they followed him, they listened to him. We know that at least two honored him as their Lord specifically, and yet they saw him die, and they saw him buried. We have the religious elite, the scribes and Pharisees. These guys didn't like Jesus when he was alive. Alright? So, although they didn't believe in Jesus, they understood perfectly well what Jesus was saying, didn't they? They got the fact that he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And they saw him dead and buried. But even though they saw him dead and buried, as Graham McKay pointed out last week at Nichols, they're still nervous. Jesus is dead and buried, and they're still scared of him. Interesting to know, and that's because they understood him plenty well. Now we have the soldiers, this guard that they asked for, and they said, put a guard in front of the tomb. These guys are just doing their job, right? These are just normal Joes. They're going to do what they're asked to do. It's Tuesday. We're going to guard a tomb. Life is normal. So they're going to show up and stand in front of this tomb and just do their job. They clock in. They're guarding the tomb. And then we have the disciples. Oh, wait, except we don't, do we? We don't. Where are they at? Jesus is number one guys. We don't hear from them this whole time. They don't have a speaking role in this whole discourse, which I actually think is telling. But they saw Jesus too, we know. They saw him die. They know he's buried. We're going to focus on these four parties. Let's move forward into chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and find out what happened. After the Sabbath day, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They're coming back. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's pretty intense. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And I'm pretty sure that's ancient Hebrew for really bright and freaky. <laughs> the guards were so afraid of him. Uh, verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. No doubt they're terrified. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples 
He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, of course, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I love that. What's up, he said. <laughs> they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Instantaneous response. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The reaction of the women, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert through this whole thing, is spot on. Contrary to the culture of the day, where women weren't really respected that much, at least their testimony wasn't, these guys are the shining example of what we should do and how we should live. They're afraid. They encounter an angel, a thing of God, a messenger of God, and they're afraid, and yet they're full of joy. They're afraid, and yet they're obedient. The angel says, go tell. And they immediately are on their way to go tell. And in the act of obedience, run smack into Jesus. Is that not the way it happens so often? And when they run into Jesus, they worship. That's the reaction I can get behind. Then we have the soldiers, Joe and Sam, doing their job. <laughs> An angel shows up, and they're afraid. And that's about it. It stops right there for them. They're just afraid. They're freaked out. And as we read on, we discover that their reaction to encountering the things of God was the opposite of the women. Let's read forward. Matthew 28, 11-15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. See, the women reported to their superiors, the disciples, and now these guards are going to report to their superiors, too. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took, took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. The women hear, obey, and go, afraid but joyful, run smack into Jesus and go tell the disciples. But the soldiers return to their leaders, and they're willing to be bought off. I find that interesting. They saw the same angel, didn't they? Hmm, let's just keep that in the back of our mind. The religious elite show their reaction here too. They understood Jesus' sayings. They knew he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. Right? They've already demonstrated that. Now their own people that they put in place as a guard have told them, a huge angel showed up and rolled away the stone and he's gone. So rather than say, oh man, he was telling the truth, they want to suppress things. It's interesting to me that they understood Jesus' plan and they were still unbelieving and angry. Understanding coupled with unbelieving and angry. Wow. Let's read on. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Slash the good part. So the angel said, go tell the disciples to meet him here. 
Jesus said, I'm going ahead of them. Meet me at X spot. So they go to this spot. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Good job, guys. But some doubted. Let's hold on to that for a minute. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Last verse. Remember this one. And Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples finally show up. Most important guys spent time this whole time. Now they show up. And guess what? They are seeing Jesus right in front of them. And they worship, but they also doubt. Wow. Amazing. And Jesus, apparently, he has a reaction too. He looks at these disciples, and presumably the women as well. It doesn't specify that only the disciples were there. And he looks at these people who he knows are worshiping him, but also doubting. And he says, I can work with this. I can work with these guys. And then he gives them the most important order that anyone has ever given anyone in the history of the world. And he says, go into all those nations, make disciples, teach people to obey what I've commanded you. And then he says this, I'm going to be with you always. Always. Let's talk about some of these groups of people and like walk through their mindsets and, and how they process things. Because I think we can identify with at least one of them. This is kind of the last portion of the sermon. So maybe you're living out a life that responds correctly to the reality of the crucifixion and the reality of the resurrection. So maybe you're like the women. And if that's you, and if you're living a life full of obedience and worship, then I encourage you to keep going and encourage other people because that's the kind of life we all need to live. So if this is you, praise God for you. Stay encouraged. God is proud of you. God loves you. He is with you. And if this is you, you already know that and you're smiling inside right now and you're like, that's right. And I enjoy it. That's good. But maybe you're like the soldiers. Maybe you're an everyday Joe and you've had a real encounter with the things of God or God himself. A real undeniable encounter. And yet you've been willing to be bought off. Come on. Things that happen to you, don't raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. Since I'm a preacher, I'll be self-deprecating. Happened to me. Maybe you found something you think is worth deceiving yourself. So if that's you, I want to ask you a question. What made you cash it all in? What was your price? What was your price? When it says that they paid the soldiers a large sum of money, that Greek word actually means sufficient. Oh, does that change things? Can you deny you saw an angel and this is true for $10? No. How about $20? No. $500? No. A million? Forget the quote. $1.5? Yeah, never knew it. Ouch. What was your price? I'll encourage you to remember the price that he paid for you, which is incomparable. Maybe you're 
were good guys among them. There were Jesus followers among them. Okay? But maybe you're like the bad guys in this story. And you know the truth. And you believe the truth is the truth. You understand the Bible. You actually think Jesus is who and what he said he was. The only way to salvation and the Savior of the world. You've got it. And instead of arousing faith, it arouses anger. And maybe you don't even know why. But you would do anything. Lie, cheat, steal, bribe. Stay on Facebook 24-7. Stay high. I don't know. Anything. To keep even yourself from believing what you actually already know is true. Maybe that's you. And if it is you, you need to know something. You need to have a great big reality check. And you're about to get it. Because the greatest missionary of all time and the man that wrote most of the New Testament was one of those people. He was one of those people. And in Romans 5, 6 through 10, he makes it very clear that our fight with God is one-sided. You have your guard up for no reason. Because Jesus isn't making a fist like you are. He's extending his hand. And while we were still sinners and still enemies of God, he loved us enough to die. And that is what the reality of the resurrection needs to say to you. Your fight with God is one-sided. He's not fighting with you. Or maybe you're like the disciples. And you're a mixture of faith and doubt. You're believing. You're obedient. You are committed to doing what God said to do, but you don't always feel unshakable. Let me encourage you, to you, to myself, to every other believer on the planet, I advise reflection on the last verse of this chapter. Maybe you understand the reality of the cross. Maybe you understand the reality of the resurrection, but please think about the reality of God's presence, because these faithful doubters did not stay doubters. If we flip ahead a few books, we get to Acts chapter 2, where they're hiding in a room in the top of a building until the presence of God shows up in a powerful way. They get the Holy Spirit, and suddenly they're bursting out of the doors, preaching to everybody who happens to be in the street, because they don't even know how to control this awareness of the presence that they have, this fullness of God. And people think they're absolutely drunk, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we'll back up a minute. We're not drunk. This is actually God. And they go off on these awesome explanations and thousands of people get saved. They became lions in an instant when they understood the imminence and the presence and the infilling of God that they had. So I would encourage you to focus on the same thing. Dig into that. You can have that. The Bible says be constantly filled with the Spirit. That's the, that's the presence of God in you. That is available. And if you want that, come up after service to crying out loud and pray for you, and they're going to get encouraged. It's going to be awesome. You might even turn into a lion and go out and preach to people. You need that. <laughs> so in conclusion, if you only believe in the reality of the cross, and it's a reality, but if, if your faith stops there, you have a dead God. And I think we can all agree that is not good news. If you believe in the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus, and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a reality, it's true. But you don't think God wants much to do with you? You have an aloof God. And that's not really good news either. But if you believe what Jesus said himself, we have the cross, the resurrection, and the presence of God as a reality in your life. If your 
yet ironically, you will always lose. <laughs> and yes, I think that's a, a joke. So. Jesus was God in the body, it's a reality. It's true. The death, resurrection, and presence of Jesus are all real and true, and that is what God wants. God's desire is to be with us and for us to play a role in his plan. That's why we have the Great Commission. We get to partner with him and do what he's doing, and that's exciting. And if you've never accepted his offer, he paid the price on the cross for a reason. He came back to life for a reason. And darn it, it's because he loves you, and that's exactly the same reason he wants to be with you. And if you've never accepted that and decided to make him your Lord, which means king or boss, he makes the rules, and also savior. And I might also add father and friend. Now is the day. There is no better time than this will be done. And I'm not going to make a big show out of it and unless you're called and say just as I am 500 times. We are going to bow our heads. And if you're feeling that pull on your heart, this is a good time to get it straight. And if you go ahead and you make that commitment or if you want somebody to pray with you, talk to me. Talk to my wife, Nicole. Talk to Chris Wall, who is the MC. Talk to my mom. Talk to Justin. Talk to Katie Duke and Leonard Duke. Talk to somebody. They will pray with you. Get it rock solid tonight. Let's bow our heads right now. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you that you've given us something real, something we can stand on, something that can see us through the hard times in life. We thank you for what you did on the cross, what you did when you broke through death and came back, and we thank you that your presence is with us in a real way, should we merely allow you in. God, we yield. I'm going to put down my fist. My fight with you is over. I'm sorry that it was a one-sided battle. I accept your hand. I accept the price you paid for the cross. I accept that I'm a sinner, and I repent. I'm going to do it your way. My Lord, you've earned it. You can be my Savior. You're the only one there is. Show me how to be your son. Show me how to live life your way. And show me what it means to be loved by you and what it means to experience your nearness, God. Help me love you and love other people for the rest of my life and live like your child. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up at this time. I totally got to make six pounds of bacon, bro.